0: Hello, hello. Welcome to session 129 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're doing wonderfully well. I'm just so grateful you took the time to join me for today's session. And I hope that the uh, summer months here, at least in the U.S., that it's treating you well. It has uh, warmed up a little bit here in Philly. But, you know, I I will not complain because I much prefer this than uh, compared to... What I had in, in Texas with uh, over a hundred degrees. I felt like every single day from May onwards. So, but wherever you are, I hope that you're doing well. Uh, today's podcast is actually a topic that I know that many of us struggle with, which is marketing. And the question that I have been struggling a lot with and I continue to always explore with STC is, and my private practice is how do I market in a way that is authentic and kind and of service? I don't know what it is like for you, but for me, the word marketing just conjures up all sorts of like crazy images. It brings a sense of panic and anxiety and clammy hands and all of those different things. And part of what I have always tried to do is just come from a heart of service and a place of of giving and a place of service and even and to be honest even as STC continues to grow that's becoming harder because you do feel this interesting tension as things grow but i always try to come back to this sense of just trying to be authentic and kind and today's podcast is with one of my most favorite people Allison Perrier from Abundance Practice Building and we're talking all about just how do you market in a way that is authentic and that's full of grace and just really concrete examples in today's podcast both things that we've both struggled with just situations that have happened and then we you know wrap up our session just talking about things like you know how do we sort of reconcile maybe the the feelings we have on the inside when we think about marketing and some of the things that we do externally Allison has just a wonderful way of creating a sort of a a wonderful framework for creating marketing and I just thought uh, I can't wait to share that with you guys. Before we get to today's session, I wanted to thank the folks over at TheraNest for being just wonderful supporters of today's podcast session and actually this month. One of the most recent conversations in the Selling the Couch community which you can join at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community but one of the most recent conversations has been this question of like when should i incorporate electronic health records into my practice and the overwhelming number of responses especially from clinicians who had had like paper records and then had to make that transition to electronic records has been Get electronic records, ideally even, um, as soon as you can, and if you're just starting out right when you start. Theranest is this company that's used by thousands of our colleagues all around the world each month, and they just have an outstanding reputation in the field. You can learn more about them at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Theranest, and there's actually a a little bit of a discount code, a 20% off discount code, and then you get a couple of months uh, free just for being an awesome listener. So uh, we'll get right to today's conversation. So here is my conversation with Allison Purrier from AbundancePracticeBuilding.com. Hi, Allison. Welcome back to Selling the Couch.
1: Thanks so much, Melvin, for having me.
0: I'm so grateful, I think, well, for this conversation, but more than that, I'm grateful that for our friendship, it's amazing how this platform of podcasts, like, I don't know any, like, I guess eventually we would have connected, but I really am just grateful for our friendship and how this has been able to connect us.
1: Oh, I am too. Thank you.
0: You know, the topic we're talking about today is marketing. And actually, we were talking about this right before we started the recording of, you know, a lot of things we see online, right? And I think part of the struggle is many of us, we don't have a background in marketing classes. And so we sometimes see things online. And we're like, maybe that's the way to do it. Right. And I know that I struggle with this. And our topic today is how do you market in a way that is authentic to who we are as as people as clinicians? And then how do you do it with just some semblance of grace and kindness and all of those different things?
1: Yeah, which is such a juicy topic. Yes. Because, I mean, we've talked about this before this conversation, too. It's kind of a running theme in our friendship is this conversation around marketing and what we don't love about the way some folks market, like, or just what doesn't work for us, I guess, is maybe a fairer way to put it, like the whole bait and switch thing. One thing I've started doing recently is if it sounds like... I could put a super cheesy voice on it. It's maybe too good to be true. Like, (laughs) start a six-figure practice in three weeks. You know, something like that. I'm like, okay, that's probably not legit. That's probably not going to happen.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, it's, uh, I like the incorporation of the voice because literally I know that I've had scenarios where I've read something online and I'm like, wait, what? And then, but I like the cheesy voice because it gives, I don't know. It's like, we're being like funny about it, but I feel like it gives the brain a chance to step back and be like, okay, is this like, you know, is this legit? Like, does this fit for me on all of those kind of questions?
1: Yeah. It makes me think of acceptance and commitment therapy and kind of like, if you can sing your negative thought or something like that, like, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, (laughs) you know, like it takes some of the power away. And I'm somebody who's, I probably should not say this on a national podcast, but I'm somebody who's super easy to sell to. Like I can get really caught up in the promise without really, and I'm also just like, I just don't really have an ounce of skepticism in me, unfortunately. Mm. And so it's, I have to be really careful. Luckily, I have a more skeptical partner who will be like, well, let's talk it through, Allison. But yeah, I just have to be really careful because things can sound so good, especially people who are great at writing copy or they hired somebody who's great at writing copy. It can feel like you're about to sign up for the thing that's going to change your life. And then it doesn't.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm with you. Like, I don't know if it's just I try to just see the world as like everybody's good and everybody's authentic and I mean to be honest like i've I've definitely gotten burned by that, you know, and I think I've learned the hard way uh I don't remember where I heard this, like I felt like this was maybe like a Hillary, in like a Hillary Clinton book or something, but She talks about this idea of like when there is a big decision like that, that she always sleeps on it, like at least literally, you know, sleeps overnight on it so Mm -hmm. that she takes a pause and then she makes a decision the next
1: day. Oh, that would be so hard for me, but that's really good advice. (laughs) I
0: thought it was good advice too. I was like, oh, I think I should probably write this down.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, getting
0: back to just our topic, and to be honest, like, I still have a very strong reaction to the word marketing, right? Like, for me, it's like, (laughs) I don't know, maybe it's, I have this image of like the used car salesman. And, you know, as soon as I walk into a car lot, I'm going to get approached and somebody's going to try to take advantage of me. And so I think that's sort of my image of what it means to market. And, you know, I think what in this online space, and we talk about our our jobs as practitioners. And part of that is trying to figure out how to market and how to build these, you know, authentic relationships and authentic referral sources. And I guess, how do you do this in a way that's authentic? If that's the, I guess, the best way to to ask that question?
1: Yeah, well, I think that part of it is reframing it, right? So, to take it kind of out of that used car salesman space, which no offense to used car salesmen, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but, you know, but like I see marketing as not only in line with our profession, but really generous and kind to potential customers or clients.
0: I mean, that's a different way of looking at it, right? Yeah, I mean, it is about the the relationship. It's about that sense of connection, and it's actually something that's so authentic and. Something that's helpful instead of something that's in someone's face.
1: Yeah. And I I think about like when you're really rooted in why you chose this profession out of the thousands or millions. I don't even know how many professions there could be out there. Probably millions at this point. Like why we chose this profession out of all the other options. Like if we can get rooted into our why, then we can market from a place that speaks to our clients with love and generosity and hope. So like I think about like both of my businesses are really rooted in this deep sense of wanting people to have the kind of life that they didn't realize was possible. So like my counseling practice, when I recovered from my eating disorder like 15 or 20 years ago, I remember this really beautiful moment when I was like, wait, this is my life now? Like I get to have these relationships and this confidence and this like self-efficacy that I really can handle whatever emotion comes my way, even if it's really hard. And so it kind of became my life's mission to help young women get out from under eating disorders. And then when I had my first full-time private practice, it was this kind of familiar feeling of, wait, like I can have whatever time off I want and I can see the clients I do my best to work with and not have to take on more when I'm full and work less and make more. And like, how did I not know this before? So I started becoming kind of like a private practice proselytizer for years before I even started consulting. So I think basically I believe so deeply in both recovery and in private practice that like, I want people to know that it's possible, that they can have what they don't even realize is available to them. And that kind of makes me less shy about it. I mean, I'm not really shy in general, <laughs> but, but I really wish that there were more people out there when I was in agencies saying, hey, like private practice is this thing you can totally do and you don't have to go to this toxic environment every day. You can get out. Because I had that in my recovery journey, I had these people who were like, "You can do this it 's going to be so much better on the other side it 's super hard now, but you 're capable and i i didn 't have that in private practice, so i 'm really passionate about both
0: yeah, I mean, you said it so beautifully, and i I think you you talked about this why, and I think sometimes like you know we 'll listen to podcasts and we 're like we focus uh, we ask this question of like or we make these statements around you know we should definitely focus on a why." I guess for someone that's listening, and and this might be a really silly question, but how does one actually find their why?
1: I guess for me, like I started down this path because it was the thing that lit me up inside. Hmm. And so I think looking at like, if you became a counselor, what made you choose that? Like, maybe you were one of the millions of psych majors in undergrad, but there was something that happened in your life, whether it was in your education or in your personal experience that brought you to wanting to help people have lives they knew what to do with feelings or I always hesitate to say better lives because sometimes it doesn't feel better when we're exploring that stuff but Mm. have more self actualized lives like there's something that happened to most of us I think beyond just like human beings are fascinating you know (laughs) so looking at why therapy matters to you because I think if therapy doesn't really matter for you and and it feels like this thing that you started in grad school and so you just have to kind of finish it as a profession because you started it. I mean, you don't have to be trapped. This is a really hard profession and if you're not lit up by it, I mean, save some people are burned out and that's a different experience, but if you're not lit up by it, like it's there's so many other options. But if you are lit up about it, then it's exploring that. Like when you have a great session and the client leaves and you just like well, I'm kind of a dancer. So, like if you just want to like dance in your office, like a goofball, like what creates that for you and for maybe people who are a little more calm than I am? Like just feeling that sense of connection or I don't know that beauty that happens in therapy.
0: Yeah. You know, you put it in such great words because, you know, a few episodes ago I I had an episode where I just talked about my own struggle in finding a niche and for me, ultimately it did come back to that why. And I said, you know, I had these two niches I was like really struggling with and I decided to focus on working just with, you know, the entrepreneurs and, and startups here in, in Philadelphia because for me, I think it was that deeper why like launching stc and you know i think i to some level i understand the difficulty of launching something of putting something just putting your heart and soul into the world you know and the struggle of that and the struggle of an entrepreneur and and ultimately like that's i think that's what it came down to was like why i I focused on it was you know i knew the pain i'm going you know pain and struggle of it i felt like i could could share that in a way that would be helpful. Yeah. I um just shifting a little bit, I feel like, you know, marketing has and I guess if even if we, we're almost calling it, calling it like, I guess Relationship building or connecting, right? I think that's the way I like to look at marketing. But, uh-huh. but I, I feel like marketing has these two parts, right? Like the first part is how we feel internally when we share our services with others, right? And then the second part is what we do externally to share those services or products or whatever it is, right? It's maybe hopefully not too like a big philosophy question, but how does <laughs> I have a tendency to do that. But how does one align those two things toward this authentic place?
1: Yeah, well, I think probably most of us don't love the putting ourselves out there piece. Mm. Like, it's it's not that comfortable for most of us. I mean, you and I have probably exposure therapy our ways out of much of it. <laughs> but I know I still have my moments. Like, this week, I'm launching something and I am a basket case. I mean, mm. like, I'm just like a ball of nerves walking around. And I can tolerate it. And I think that that's a part of what it is first making sure that the marketing strategies that people are choosing are in line with their values and who they are and what they like what feels right. 'Cause I think sometimes people take on like it's the shiny object syndrome or you know, somebody says, Oh, you should be doing this to build your practice and so they do it without kind of vetting it through, well, I don't know, am I somebody who hates to write? Then I'm am I supposed to blog every week, really? I would rather somebody work in an agency than do all the marketing things they hate for a private practice. That would be awful. So choosing the marketing strategies that feel most aligned with who you are. And I think it's also just being really like using your authentic voice as much as possible, which I know is kind of like when somebody puts a camera on us, we all kind of, not all of us, but I know I get a little awkward and it feels kind of like that, like, at first, until you get used to marketing, you might feel awkward, but the only way out is through, right? So it's practicing, it's doing the thing. And it's, if you're choosing the strategies that make the most sense for you and your practice, then they'll land with the clients that you want them to land with. You
0: just said like so many little like, good things in there, which is one thing that just resonated for me is you don't have to do 10 different marketing things, right? Oh,
1: gosh. Yeah. If you do 10, you're probably not going to do any of them well.
0: Right. And in fact, and I think what you're saying is focus on maybe just one or two and ultimately like what resonates for you. Like not everything resonates for everybody. I think that's what you're saying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm really, I'm kind of like steeped in this right now because a part of what I'm launching is this Marketing Fundamentals e-course and in there like i started every single module out with is this for me and i explain what makes something for someone or something not for somebody and then there's also best practices it's funny it's called marketing fundamentals and it's like not fundamental like it's way too much <laughs> but that's how i do so but when for like best practices like there're certain things i have no idea how to do i've built successful practices in three different states, and I still have no idea how to do SEO, right? And so I brought in experts to teach that because I don't need to know how to do all the things. That's not my thing. I want to throw my computer against the wall at least once a week. So like, technology is probably not the route for me to build my private practice. So whereas connecting one-on-one typically is. And so I can put my energy there instead of trying to figure out WordPress or something, you know?
0: So again, maybe silly question, but what are some of those like marketing options that are available to us as clinicians? Maybe even just like, you know, a couple of popular ones. And I can even like, we can even brainstorm some of this together.
1: Yeah. Well, I see that there are two that are kind of non-negotiable and the rest are options, right? Mm-hmm. So I think having a great website is pretty non-negotiable. And that doesn't mean you've got like, you know, a $5,000 custom made website, it can be on Squarespace, it can be something you threw together, but the copy needs to be good, it needs to have a clean design that's alluring to your ideal client.
0: So why is I guess, because I feel like these conversations have come up in, the, in our communities, which is, you know, some folks are like, I don't know if I need a website. So why is something like a website so important in this day and age?
1: Well, I think, like, if let's say you do your standard three referrals, like, if I'm full and I give somebody who calls me who wants therapy three referrals to clinicians in my area that I trust, if one of them doesn't have a website and I just give a phone number, but the other two people have a website, I mean, they're probably just off the list because they people want they have the ability to check out other people. So why wouldn't they? Versus the intimacy of getting on the phone with someone when you're already going to be talking about a super intimate thing, like being able to vet somebody a little bit, I think is really important.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like more and more, right, like when people are looking for any sort of clinicians, even anything, right, like restaurants, we're often jumping into doing a quick Google search, right, Mm -hmm. seeing what comes up. And I think that's just the way I mean, I think part of it is just, just what's happening now, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's wise to have, I think it's actually Michael Formica, that, that our mutual friend, mm-hmm. he told me that, you know, like the website is the modern day business card.
1: It is. Right? Absolutely. And, and I was like,
0: oh, it's such a good visual a way of putting it. So, yeah. So I interrupted you. So the website is essential. What's the other essential
1: piece? I would say the other essential piece is networking, which is a word like marketing that people immediately are like, nope, not me, not going to do it. <laughs> so I'm going to reframe it as building relationships with colleagues. We're great at building relationships as counselors. We're, I mean, it's our strong suit. And so to be able to just get together with coffee or even just a Skype date, but being able to get together with the people in your community who may be potential referral sources for you to refer to them and for them to refer to you and to get to know your colleagues, because the truth is at some point you're going to be full and you're going to need people to refer to. And there are lots of full clinicians out there who are kind of desperate for good, solid referrals. So. I always tell people, like, start easy. The lowest hanging fruit is other therapists. Like, trying to get into a doctor's office is significantly harder than shooting an email to a colleague you worked with five years ago and saying, hey, you want to grab coffee? So just building and nurturing those relationships with the people in your community, I would say those are the two non-negotiables. And additionally, there's blogging, there's search engine optimization, there's video, there's podcasting.
0: Yeah, Um, (laughs) which we're both podcasters, right?
1: Yeah. There's speaking, there's Mm -hmm. workshops. Oh, there's so many. There's social media. And every one of those platforms has a different kind of set of etiquette and rules and social norms. So like usually when i'm saying like social media i mean choose one platform don't get on all of them and try to make that your one thing
0: which uh i did with stc by the way i was oh my on gosh. like five different ones and i was like oh this is what i should do because i you know everybody tells me i should do it but right. it was so overwhelming trying to you yeah. know keep it's up. awful no it's awful <laughs> yeah. like it made me hate social media
1: Totally. I did that too when I started Abundance because everybody was like, you got to be on all the platforms. Mm. And I was like, aye, aye. And like, I hate Twitter. I hate it. Mm. And I actually got locked out of Twitter for a long time and just found my way back in Mm. yesterday. And I was like, oh, I feel like a jerk. Like, I had all these notifications and left people hanging for like a month Mm. because it's just not my platform. So,
0: So. you know, the way you're describing it, like, I almost think of it like building blocks, right? So the Mm -hmm. two sort of foundational pieces are the website and connecting with colleagues and then beyond that there's a lot of flexibility in terms of what you can do right mm-hmm. but it sounds yeah. like if you're just starting out those first two should be the ones you're you're focusing on
1: yeah i would start there because they are the foundation and if you could get caught up in another one then this one might not get done yeah and there are some really Like, I mean, I built my first two private practices or no, my second two private practices with just a website and networking. Like, I I mean, this was a long time ago, so you could get away with that. But I mean, like my first private practice, I didn't even have a website because it was, you know, 12 years ago. So times change. And as a result, our marketing needs to change if we're not already established. So I know I hear from a lot of people like, oh, my supervisor says I don't need to have a website, but their supervisor has been in private practice for 30 years. Like, it's not necessary once you're established for 30 years to have a website, you've already got a stellar reputation and referral sources.
0: Yeah, that's a different way of looking at it. Like, it's a way of, I guess, I had never thought about it. That makes perfect sense. Like someone who's in practice for a longer amount of time, there may be things that they didn't have to kind of think about or think through right when they mm-hmm. were starting that maybe there are challenges now
1: yeah and and managed care was different so they could just walk into the doctor's office 30 years ago and be like hey frank mm. you know like <laughs> i'm opening a counseling practice and they had you know plenty of referrals so versus like trying to get into a doctor's office now when they're harried and they're skipping their own lunches these docs cuz they're just so packed their schedules are insane
0: No, it's such a good sort of context. I don't think I ever thought, I mean, to be honest, like I never thought of it on those sort of different levels. So once somebody has those kind of two foundation pieces, and I imagine that, you know, once those two start or exist, it's not like you just kind of forget about them, right? They're constantly refining and tweaking and all of those things, right? You're constantly reaching out to therapists, connecting with them. But then once you get into that third tier, what's your recommendation? Like, do you just start with like one of those optional ones? Do you start a couple? Do you experiment and kind of see, you know, which ones resonate? Or what's the I guess, what's the best process for something like that?
1: Yeah, so I think a mix of the more static ones and the more ongoing ones. So an example of a static one would be like, an online listing profile, for instance, like that's not something you have to tend to every single week, versus blogging, And if you're wanting to be a weekly blogger, like that is, that's adding work to yourself every single week. So I don't want people's schedules to get so clogged up with marketing stuff that they don't get to do the clinical work that they're super passionate about. Because I know that while a lot of people are like, oh, okay, marketing's not so bad when I choose the right things for me, it's still not everybody else's first love. So... I think finding a balance of the things that you do have to tend to and the things that you can kind of, you know, create and tweak a little bit as you go, like a profile for an online listing, but it's pretty much a set it and forget it kind of a thing.
0: Right. And that's a great way of looking at it because you're taking a step back because the thing is all of this takes time, right? And when Mm -hmm. we're spending time doing any one of these things, it's usually time away from our loved ones, all of those, you know, time for away from self care. So it's that fine balance. And I like that process of taking a step back and saying, you know, what is this marketing effort? Or is this piece right where I'm trying to connect it? Does it Can I put in the initial work up front and then is it kind of a set it and forget it or is it a do I do the work up front and then do I do like need minimal kind of pruning or is this I do the work up front and it's going to be something that I may it has great potential, but I I need to maintain it over time. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, because the maintenance is, we can get really excited about something, but consistency is hard for most of us as people, you know, and if you're not consistent with whatever it is you choose, then it really just waters down the marketing and you're somebody who blogged twice last year and that doesn't really move the needle forward in your practice.
0: I wanted to just ask a random question because you just said something, but you know, I I think a lot of us struggle with this. I struggle with this as well, which is I start on something, right? Like even with STC, like I had this struggle of, you know, I started the podcast and it was going, going, going. And then I thought, oh, you know, Instagram's going to get really popular. You know, I should probably be on <laughs> Instagram and, you know, like I love photography. So in that space, I know that a lot of folks struggle with that. How do you keep going with something when there are, you know, you're getting pulled in 50 different directions. Uh
1: Uh-huh. So I actually really struggled with this pretty bad. I'm somebody who acts really quickly, like I get, as we've talked about, I get an idea and I get a bee in my bonnet and I just make it happen. So in February of this year, I ended up launching four things in six weeks. And for anybody who's ever launched anything, like launching is like a months long process and it is the most stressful thing I've ever done in my business And it's not fun. And so I launched all these things in a really short period of time because I got so excited about these ideas. And after that, those shenanigans and the flirtation with burnout that that led to, I was like, okay, I've got to do this differently. Like I need to be more intentional. And so what I started doing is like quarterly planning or like. I plan out four quarters in advance, right? So now when I have a really great idea, with the exception of this one thing that broke the rule, but in general, when I have a really good idea, I'm like, well, I can't do that till, you know, Q4 of next year. So I'll put it Mm -hmm. on the list. And if it still looks good when I'm doing the planning for that quarter, then I'll schedule it and I'll make it happen. And I think that that has been really hard for me to stick to because I am such a quick start, but it also is keeping me a lot less stressed out than I was earlier this year.
0: Yeah, I guess it's intentionally creating that space to say, to at least give it time, right? Is this still a good idea? This might be a wonderful idea now, right? But does it still make sense for me later? Yeah, I wanted to wrap up just by sharing and and talking through like a really practical example of how we can market as clinicians just with authenticity and grace.
1: Yeah. So I'm actually going to share a personal example as a client. And to kind of preface this, I really see marketing as an act of service. And that even though it's not super comfortable to put ourselves out there, there are clients out there looking for the right fit people. And if they can't find us, it's it's not just our business that misses out it's our clients or our potential clients um it's these people who are walking around on the streets with that that need us so My very personal example of that, when I had my first daughter, I had postpartum depression. And I went to my midwife because I knew what was happening as a therapist. I just didn't know how to stop it. And she had met, AKA networked, with therapists who work with perinatal families. So she gave me three cards and I looked at all three of their websites. And two of them were really kind of generic generalist websites. But one spoke exclusively about perinatal issues. And I mean, I'd been a therapist for 13 years at that point. And just looking at her website, like I learned things that I had never encountered in my professional training before. I mean, she was just clearly an expert. So I felt, I just felt really relieved. And that's what we really want our clients to feel when they find us. We want them to feel relief and we want them to feel hope. So I want to walk through some supposed, like I never talked to her about it, but some supposed things that went into how I found her. So she was networking which is, you know, my favorite because it's building relationships and she built relationships with the birthing community. So and she also built up her reputation. She had a business card, which usually isn't the thing that I'm like, make sure you have a business card because I do think our websites are kind of our business cards, like Michael says, but like it made this midwife's job a lot easier just to hand me three cards instead of like breaking out a pen and paper and searching for her website or her phone number. Like she just kind of like carried in three cards and it was quick and easy and I I don't know if she would have referred me to her if she hadn't had a card, just because sometimes our referral sources need it to be easy in order to refer to us. And I mean, you know, it was a medical office, so I probably got like a printout with their names on it too. But it was the pretty colorful cards that I held on to and that I used to search. Hmm. And then she had a super niched website. It spoke directly to me and it instilled this confidence in her that um, I didn't necessarily have any other people who may have been equally as competent and caring and loving, but they just weren't speaking to the exact pain I was dealing with. They were talking about anxiety and depression and perinatal issues and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I don't have that stuff. Like I've got this and it's wrecking everything
0: and I need help. It's almost like that website gave you some language that maybe you knew you had in yourself, but you couldn't quite express.
1: Yeah. And and it de-stigmatized some of the shame I felt because I felt awful. It makes me cry now just to think about it. I Mm. felt awful. And to have somebody say, hey, other people go through this. And there is a way out. And like, I've got your back, basically, was such relief.
0: I think, um, you're going to make me tear up
1: now, but I think
0: (laughs) we sometimes forget this, right? In the process of creating websites and all of these different things, like at the core of it, like it's about the human connection, right? Like, I need help. And are you there? Like, can you help me, you know? And it's that basic connection. And I think sometimes we, like, lose the essence of that, you know? Yeah. And I think yeah. one thing that's always been helpful for me is, like, I don't know, folks will ask me like, these questions and I'm, like, around, you know, like, what do I do to market? And, like, honestly, I just ask myself, like, is what I'm putting out there, is it kind, does it protect people, and does it, like, help them and not, like, take advantage of them, you know? Yes.
1: And that's marketing coming from service at its essence. That's perfect.
0: Allison, I'm so grateful for you. I'm just so grateful for the ways that you continue to serve our field. You've got some pretty awesome stuff coming up. Please, before you go, tell us a little bit more about that and uh, where we can sign up and all of those things.
1: Sure. Thanks. Let's see. So Until August 18th, I've got a little deal going on this new product, which is a membership site. So it's going to be $29 a month until if you sign up before August 19th. And it's called the Abundance Party. (laughs) Such a fun name. Right. It's so goofy, which is me. So that works out. So it has e-courses in it. It has a marketing fundamentals course in it. It has the What to Say When scripts and templates for counselors in private practice, which has like more than 60 scripts and templates in it to help for all the different business things that come up. A monthly training. I've got Katie K. May coming in, who I know you had on the podcast for a Mm two-parter. So she's coming in to help us learn how to create and fill groups. I've also got Lindsay Bonham coming on, who is going to help us with the practicality around money, like more the nuts and bolts stuff of how to do money in our practice and, and in our personal lives, too. And then I've got little quick tips in there. And there's also a smaller Facebook group. Like as of right now, I think the Facebook group's at like 7,500 people, the big one that I run. Mm. And so this is going to be. Much smaller because 7,500 people are not going to sign up for this. It's going to be much smaller. I'm going to be in there more so I can really kind of dig in and help people with their practices that way. And there are also opportunities for one-on-ones with me. Four for folks who are just starting out and four for folks who are established and looking to scale or simplify. So yeah, it's a really <laughs> membership sites take a long time to oh. uh describe, I'm realizing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had this uh struggle
0: earlier in the week, but no, it sounds so wonderful and it's such a something that's so needed just for our field. And I guess what's the best way that, that folks can find it?
1: Yeah, so abundanceparty.com. So abundance, you know, it's got dance at the end. So we roll with that. (laughs) Abundanceparty.com.
0: Awesome. Alison, thank you again for doing this. And uh, again, I'm just so grateful for you.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy that we're friends.
0: Hey gang, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alison. And uh, more than anything, I just hope that it's given you a, a different way of looking at marketing. As I mentioned in that episode, the word marketing, I think, has such... It brings a lot of anxiety for me and just a simple thing of reframing marketing as connection and realizing that building trust and rapport and all of those things comes naturally to us and that in many ways we're actually very natural marketers and especially if we just focus on the, the power of that connection uh, no matter where who that referral source might be. One big key takeaway from just the conversation was actually that framework of doing marketing. And I just never, I think, thought of it in that way. Uh f- I think for a long time, if I'm completely honest, especially as I've jumped back into private practice, I've often just thought, you know what, I got to jump into this and do that and, you know, create my website and get a online profile going and get business cards made and figure out who to network with and all of those different things. And I just love that framework, right? Like, Build it layer by layer, and that way you're not overwhelmed. And that way you're also building relationships that are deep and not just always focusing, you're focusing on building quality in the relationships and not just on quantity. So, as Allison mentioned, and as we talked about, one of the best ways is just to start with the private practice website. And if you guys are actually, well, it's on my mind, if you're uh, thinking about a private practice website, and you just would prefer to do it on your own, there is a DIY website guide. It's absolutely free. It's on the Selling the Couch blog. You can find it at sellingthecouch.com forward slash website guide. And I just walked you right through how to set up a website. There's some videos in there, how to name your website and all of those different things and things to think about that I've learned along the way. But I love the fact that Allison talked about starting with the website, starting with that copy, and then expanding then to thinking about local clinicians who you can connect with and then starting with those other kind of optional or more fluid marketing pieces. Alison, I know we mentioned a number of things. I think this is a topic we both get really excited about. So uh, I wrote down some notes for you guys. You can find that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number one, two, nine. As we wrap up, I just wanted to thank again the folks over at Theranest for supporting today's podcast session. Uh, Theranest is affordable private practice management software that's used by a lot of our colleagues. And in fact, there's another a recent, another survey that was in the uh, selling the couch community. And a lot of folks asked, you know, what are some of the electronic health records that folks use? And theirness definitely came up quite a few times. So um, they definitely have an outstanding reputation in our field, and they're just a uh, good people. I've gotten to know them here in the last several months. You can find more information about them at sellingthecouch.com forward slash TheraNest. And if you actually go through that link, they actually have a discount code for, your, for our community. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Oh, and before I forget, Allison's website again for her new product is at abundanceparty.com. Have a great rest of your day. Take good care.
1: Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.